Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us for this special edition podcast on COVID-19. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen as we share the latest on COVID-19 with our resident experts. My name is Rachel Drury, and I'm the Ambulatory Pharmacy Coordinator for Freighter in the Medical College of Wisconsin. I will be your host today. With me today are Jeff Olson, Community Care Pharmacy Director at Intermountain Healthcare, and Samantha Lindolfa, Director of Ambulatory and Specialty Pharmacy at Christiana Care. Thanks for joining us today, Jeff and Samantha, to discuss managing ambulatory care teams during significant events. To get us started, can you guys both describe the ambulatory pharmacy practices at your sites and the teams that you manage? Samantha, we'll start with you. Sure. Um, at Christiana Care, we've experienced a lot of growth over the last couple of years in our ambulatory space. So we currently have pharmacists embedded in primary care in our ACO. Um, they provide chronic disease management services, home-based services, and they also focus on our high-risk patient populations for our value-based contracts. Within primary care, we also have a team of pharmacy technicians who process maintenance medication refills. We have a team of pharmacists, medical assistants, and an office assistant in our anticoagulation center, which is embedded in the cardiology practice. And then our specialty pharmacy program is currently developing with embedded services in our hematology oncology practices with plans to expand into additional specialties by the end of this fiscal year. All of our ambulatory pharmacists are engaged in precepting IPPE and APPE students from two pharmacy schools in Philadelphia, as well as our PGY-1 residents and our PGY-2 ambulatory care resident. That is a robust practice. Jeff, do you mind discussing Intermountain? Sure. Um, yeah, so I work with at Intermountain Healthcare, and within our organization, our clinical pharmacists practice in a variety of ambulatory care settings. They operate pharmacist-run clinics, as well as serve as members of the primary care and specialty care teams embedded within those practices. For example, in primary care clinics, our embedded pharmacists work alongside the care team providers, nurse care managers, MAs, health advocates, and behavioral health specialists in an effort to provide team-based care with a focus to our full risk and ACO populations. Our primary care pharmacists are focused on providing comprehensive medication management, utilizing collaborative practice agreements, they complete comprehensive medication reviews for patients with polypharmacy issues, as well as upon transitions of care. And certainly, as, as you would expect, they serve as a drug information resource for the team and for patients, providing education to both the team and to patients. We have pharmacists in a number of specialty areas. That includes anticoagulation, where we have pharmacists-run anticoagulation clinics. The largest clinics in our system are, are fall under pharmacy services, where we have a team of pharmacists, as well as nurses, MAs or patient care techs and pharmacy technicians that support those patients. We also have pharmacists embedded within our heart failure, heart transplant clinic, solid organ transplant, cystic fibrosis, as well as part of a unique house calls team where they actually deliver care to patients in their home. Going back to just our anticoagulation clinics, management of these clinics is, or these patients is under collaborative practice agreement. And we also have a robust education and training program with PGY-1 and PGY-2 ambulatory care residents, as well as students from local colleges of pharmacy. Thanks, Jeff. You guys both have robust practices with lots of different care team members. Given this and given COVID-19 um, and the need for 
both PPE and social distancing requirements within clinics. What ambulatory pharmacy practices were you required to change in order to continue to safely provide patient care? Again, Samantha, we'll start with you. So at the beginning of the pandemic, our ambulatory practices were instructed by leadership to limit in-person office visits to those who had urgent situations only. For our population health pharmacists in the ACO, this wasn't a problem since they were already managing all of their patients virtually. And for our primary care clinics, um, those patients were transitioned to phone visits. But for those who needed point of care services uh, in the primary care clinics, uh, one of the medical assistants in the clinic conducted the test with the pharmacist on speakerphone conduct the rest of the visit. And then additionally, one of our other primary care pharmacists continued to see patients in clinic two to three days a week for those who needed those in-person visits. Another challenge we had was our mail order pharmacy is located in a building that was closed to develop our ambulatory COVID care center. Um, so the mail order pharmacy actually had to be relocated. So this presented challenges for our refill technician group as well, which was housed in the same building. They know, since they no longer had a pharmacist that was on site to provide supervision. So we moved to a team-based model with our primary care and our ACO pharmacists that would allow them to provide oversight to this group um, and then minimize the overlap of staff. So they had a rotation of 6 a.m. to 2.30 and then 2.30 to 11 for the pharmacists and the refill technicians in that team-based model. And then we developed a similar model for our retail and mail order pharmacies as well. Lots of moving parts and lots of changes. Jeff? Yeah, Rachel, you know, I think it's... Interesting to look at it now. Hindsight's always 2020, and I think we're in a different place now than when the pandemic first hit. Early in the pandemic, our senior leaders within our organization instructed clinics as well as the teams providing care in those clinics to shift to remote work where possible. Many of our primary care and specialty clinics actually closed and stopped seeing patients altogether for a period of time. So that was done in an effort to both preserve PPE as well as time to allow for us as an organization to establish safe practices. So shifting that work to remote, while there was guidance and direction from senior leaders, it was left up to each department on how they executed that and how they put that into place. And I will say that a, a big part of our effort there centered around ideas generated by staff at the front lines. We have a a process within our organization where anybody can put in an idea. And so we received a lot of ideas and we asked for a lot of ideas and received a lot of ideas from pharmacists, from technicians, from MAs, everybody within the within our department that were able to share those ideas that helped to generate some of the actions that we took as we moved into the through the pandemic. For our ambulatory care teams, we were already in an effort to provide services virtually. We put into place a lot of the secure access. Uh, we put into place, set up cameras for video visits and stuff before the pandemic even hit, because that was the direction we were, were moving. And, and what we were challenged with, I think is interesting that we're, we're talking about this here. One of the things that we were challenged with was getting that full support from our senior leaders to trust our ambulatory care pharmacists to work effectively and efficiently from home. So the pandemic propelled that a little bit for us. And timing is always funny because we'd actually planned to start a pilot on Monday, March 16th. And as we know, you know, Monday or what was that, March 12th, it kind of stands out to me because that happens to be my birthday. So if anyone wants to send me birthday cards on my birthday, you can do that. But that's when things changed for us in Utah. And so we moved into our pilot, but it became reality more than just a pilot. And it actually went fairly smoothly because of that preparatory work we had done before. And with these particular patients that are embedded within these primary care teams, it worked out 
has a huge benefit for those patients since those patients weren't able to come in physically to see the provider in clinic. It actually resulted in some increase in the number of patients seen by the pharmacist. So we had increased use of our pharmacists. Our anticoagulation clinics were a little bit more challenging and, and a little bit different in large part because we use a facility fill facility fee for billing for these patients. So there was a need for, on, for us to be on site to perform the blood test as well as to provide care. So what we did initially was adjusted schedules to allow for more extended INR draws, which delayed follow-up a little bit for some of the more stable patients. This allowed the clinic and operations managers over anticoagulation to work with medical directors, the facility teams that allowed us to transition our clinic processes. We implemented curbside testing in these locations, and we were able to adjust our work processes and in some cases work locations to allow for the employees to provide care to them, as well as to allow for some of our pharmacists to be able to work from home. We also, in that process adjustment, it, it allowed for our support staff to take on a little bit more of the work. We recognized opportunity there. And that freed up our pharmacists to be more available to provide education to patients and to help provide more in-depth care to our complex patients. During the late summer and early fall, we began transitioning back to in-person clinics or in-person visits. This was enabled just by our, our better understanding of the virus as well as availability of PPE. And so now we are primarily delivering care in more of a hybrid model where we have some days where we are in clinic to provide care to patients that really benefit from in-person visits and then some situations where we still leverage heavily telephone and video visits to deliver care to patients. Great, thank you. Lots of changes and then innovative curbside INR draw to go with the pandemic. Thanks, Jeff. Samantha, I believe you had also mentioned that you guys have an anticoagulation clinic and given social distancing requirements and PPE requirements, what practice changes did you have to make in that clinic in particular to be able to safely maintain those in-person clinical services? Yeah, so like I had previously mentioned, our one of our offices had actually closed to create that ambulatory COVID care center. So in that building was actually our busiest location for our anticoagulation center. And it was closed for three months for that COVID care center. So we ended up having to shift those patients to other offices, which then required us to revamp our entire scheduling model to accommodate the increased volume at those other offices. And then to accommodate social distancing, we actually added a buffer in our schedule after every patient. So that allowed us to decrease the number of patients who were sitting in the waiting room at any given time. We've typically been conducting our initial education visits for anticoagulation patients in person. But since these are typically longer appointments, 40 minutes, we converted them all to phone visits and we were mailing the education packets to the patients. A lot of these changes also presented problems related to supervision of services for billing purposes. So since most visits were converted to phone and video visits for the providers, the providers had started working remotely. And although CMS had actually put out a waiver relaxing the supervision requirement, our compliance department still wanted the providers to be on site to provide that supervision. So we ended up working with cardiology leadership and their scheduling manager to help ensure that a provider was located on site in each office location while we were seeing patients to provide that. We uh, tried to establish curbside testing, as Jeff had mentioned, but unfortunately in Delaware, we were met with some legal and compliance challenges, so we were unable to do so. So to help reduce the volume of our in-person visits for the anticoagulation center, we had to modify our protocols a little bit. 
So we extended our INR testing interval for all patients except those who self-test. So previously our protocol uh, required a four-week follow-up was the maximum interval. We ended up extending that to six weeks, and later on we extended that further to eight weeks, and we developed some strict criteria that patients are required to meet in order to qualify for a six-week or an eight-week follow-up. And then those patients who are on an eight-week follow-up receive a phone call from a pharmacist at four weeks to ensure that the patient doesn't need to follow up any sooner to make sure they haven't started a new medication that would interact or anything like that. We converted a lot of patients to DOACs, all those who could. And then we enrolled almost 200 more patients in self-testing. So we have several hundred patients who are self-testers now who no longer need to come into the office. So this whole combination of interventions allowed us to reduce our in-office volume by 40% without causing any subsequent increase in our phone visit volume because we were extending our testing intervals also. And we have not seen any negative impacts on our clinical outcomes either. We're continuing to keep our in-person appointments spaced out as much as possible now that we're several months past the beginning of COVID, but we have started to shift those initial education visits back to in-person at the locations that have adequate space that would allow for social distancing in the rooms because all of our pharmacists felt that it's more beneficial for the patients to have those initial education visits face-to-face than over the phone. And then in, in primary care, we really didn't have to make very many clinical changes. In the beginning of our of the pandemic, uh, one of the pharmacists had been conducting some phone follow-ups for pediatric patients with asthma to make sure that they were still receiving the proper care and to help them triage any issues. But um, a lot of our primary care visits have now transitioned back to in-person visits as well. Thanks, Samantha. Jeff, you had mentioned in your anticoagulation clinics, you were able to adjust and allow some employees to work either remotely or work from home. Can you discuss how you determined which employees would follow each of those kind of practice models, those that would work on site and those that would work remotely? Yeah, sure. So, you know, you highlighted that difference working from home, working on site, and how do you determine who does what? And so within our anticoagulations clinics, we had the opportunity to have someone work from home work remotely because we had a number of patients that either were self-testers or otherwise managed by telephone routinely for their care. And so we set up a system in each of our clinics where they rotated that clinical staff to work from home. So they took turns working from home. And then we employed flexibility where if someone needed to quarantine or they had childcare issues or something like that, that required them to be at home, we were able to flex and shift that around to allow us to continue to provide care. At this point, most of our caregivers have returned to clinic full-time and we've made some, as I highlighted before, we've made some adjustments in our workflow that limit the number of employees and put a little bit more of that work on our support staff. And then for primary care and our specialty care clinics, just to the side there, they manage their actually manage their own schedules, similar to what a provider does. And so in most cases, they've adjusted to that hybrid method where they work from home most of the time, but then they have a couple days of the week where they try to concentrate those patients that benefit most from in-person visits on those dates, thus allowing and minimizing the interactions at work, thus minimizing risk of exposure that way, but also allowing them to deliver care to patients that need it. Makes sense, leveraging all the platforms to provide the best patient care in the most responsible way. Jeff, you had mentioned that flexibility allows you guys to have a staff member work from home should they need to quarantine. 
Samantha, can you discuss what have you guys done as all healthcare organizations have been impacted by staff, um, either who unfortunately contract the virus or have the need to quarantine at home um, due to an exposure? What changes have you had to make to your staffing models to ensure proper care given these unique and unfortunate situations? So we've actually been lucky enough to not have any of our ambulatory pharmacists test positive or need to quarantine through all this. Um, and I really attribute that to the fact that we moved to a team-based model as soon as we could for our primary care and the retail and mail order pharmacies. And so in that model, we made sure that there were no coverage overlaps, which allowed us to properly clean in between team shifts. Nobody was crossing paths, working in the same environment. Um, in the anticoagulation center, we had some pharmacists who would rotate offices that they worked from. And so what we did there was we stopped that. So each pharmacist had a home location that they only worked out of. So that minimized movement between offices. And we have five offices for anticoagulation center, but like I said, one of them was closed for three months. So we had the other four. We were only operating three clinics per day, which was allowing one pharmacist to be available for any last minute cross coverage that might be needed. But now we've kind of shifted back to our traditional scheduling now that all five office locations are open. Great. And Jeff, I know you had said that you have some flexibility within the practice settings that you have, but I know your anticoagulation clinics, you guys also offer inpatient services. Can you discuss a little further how you guys have built flexibility into your schedules, especially where there's in-person care that needs to be provided and what you guys would do or have needed to do due to having a staff member test positive or potentially need to quarantine? Well, this is a very timely question, Rachel, because I've had to deal with it this week. So with our anticoagulation clinics, we have a number of those clinics. And, and gratefully, over the last few years, we've worked to standardize processes between those clinics, which has allowed us some flexibility to shift employees between those clinics. So that's, that's definitely helped us. As well, we have a number of pharmacists that work in our community pharmacies, our retail pharmacy locations that have cross-trained into anticoagulation and can float in there and help as needed. And so just utilizing the various skill sets and shifting people around, we've been able to continue to provide care to patients and be staffed adequately to maintain patient safety. For our ambulatory care pharmacists that work within primary care and specialty clinics, I mentioned before that they're working remotely more consistently. And so if someone there at this point, no one has tested positive, knock on wood, but if someone were to test positive or were needing to be quarantined, as long as health permitted, they, they have that flexibility to be able to work from home and are already set up to do so. So care would continue as, as long as they were feeling well enough to do so. And instance that they weren't, um, a close partnership with the clinic and the support staff in the clinic would help to adjust the schedule, reschedule patients as needed. That's great. I was going to say a lot of teamwork uh, from both of you guys, it sounds like, to help make sure that we're providing patients the best care during these unique situations that we have found ourselves in. Discussing unique situations and kind of how the pandemic has caused healthcare to think about how we deliver healthcare. You guys have both talked about different remote working situations. I'd love to have you guys look into your crystal balls um, and discuss if you foresee being able to maintain some of these remote working situations or remote working um, practices for your teams after the pandemic. And Jeff, I know you had mentioned that you guys were hoping to pilot this prior to the pandemic hitting and that kind of fast forwarded or kind of pushed you into that pilot a little bit faster, but would love 
for both of you. And Jeff, if you want to take this to start, just kind of discussing what you foresee uh, for your teams in the future. Yeah, happy to do so, Rachel. I, I think for sure we will keep a lot of what we learned through the pandemic uh, and including having pharmacists work remotely. I think it's allowed us to be a little bit more efficient with our time. And in fact, just as a prequel, I guess, there will actually be an article published in an upcoming issue of AJHP that I participated with a couple colleagues, Christina DeRammer and, and Jennifer Ryder, where we shared some of the learnings that we had. And, and in fact, we saw a 22% increase in the total number of patient encounters that we had during that initial period with the pandemic, April through June. And that was compared to January and February of 2020. And within that, there was a 55% increase in the total number of telehealth encounters that we saw during that same time comparison. So seeing that and understanding that with those increases, ultimately that leads to us being able to deliver care to more patients and share our expertise with more patients. I think we will certainly be keeping some of that, um, recognizing that there's a different methods are most appropriate for patients. And we want to make sure that we're uh, meeting patients where they would benefit most from receiving that care. Additionally, I think this has provided some level of job satisfaction for a pharmacist. Having some of that flexibility, um, being able to work remotely has been a, a positive thing for them. And so through that learning process, I, I definitely think we will be keeping some of those things and implementing them going forward. Great. Thanks. Samantha, I know you had also talked some of your staff are working remotely given leadership asks and needs across your organization. What about you? Do you foresee being able to maintain some of your teams in a, a remote or work from home situation going forward? Yeah, so our population health pharmacists are still continuing to work from home today, and they'll likely continue to do so for the foreseeable future. Their work was already 100% remote to begin with. So that kind of makes sense. Our primary care pharmacists have already transitioned back to their usual work locations and their work schedule. So I'm still not sure if they're going to have a role for remote work or if we're going to continue to have inpatient visits. We have some expansion of our chronic disease management programs that are occurring right now. And a lot of that is going to be done through telehealth. So we're going to be investigating, expanding into doing some video visits, which would allow us for some additional billing opportunities and things like that. So there may be an opportunity in the future for some remote work there. Um, and then because of the changes that we made in our anticoagulation center to accommodate all this social distancing and minimizing the number of inpatient visits, we saw a shift in the proportion of patients that we manage in person versus those that we manage remotely over the phone. So prior to COVID, that was kind of a 50-50 split. And now today we're about 40% in-person and 60% remote. But there's still a need for all those pharmacists who are working in the clinic to continue working in the clinic, obviously, to provide those point-of-care services. And then and we'll have a little bit of rotation going with pharmacists who conduct those phone visits for our remote patients as well. Great. With both of you guys talking about remote working situations and then being in clinic and trying to maintain social distancing, I think a lot of leaders have been faced with challenges in terms of how to accommodate residents and students into your clinical practice sites. Can you guys both discuss some of the changes you guys had to make to make sure that we were still continuing to offer these valuable services, but maintain patient safety as well as team member safety? Yeah, so um, our population health rotation was converted to a remote rotation since our population health pharmacists are now working from home. Um, in primary care, the resident would see some of the patients in clinic uh, while the preceptor was on video or speakerphone because that primary care preceptor was working at a different site, providing oversight to our refill technicians in a different location. 
And then our residents typically were, our PGY1 residents would participate in a longitudinal home-based primary care rotation. So that rotation's obviously currently on hold for right now. And in the anticoagulation center, we had some rotations that got delayed either by the school or by our health system, but otherwise they were continued as usual. They just started a little bit later. We did tweak the learner schedule. So typically when we have learners in the anticoagulation center, we have them rotate um, to spend a couple of days with each of the different pharmacists because we feel like they benefit from, from seeing different pharmacists and different preceptor style managing the same disease state. And they that way they can kind of get a feel for what, what they like and what they don't like from each preceptor and develop their own style. But because of COVID, we kind of had to tweak their schedule. So we were only sending them to sites that had adequate space for social distancing. And that also kind of helped minimize the spread of COVID because they weren't interacting with as many people. Great. And Jeff, at Intermountain Healthcare, how did you guys pivot or make changes to still be able to offer these services? Yeah, so in the early days of the pandemic, student rotations were canceled throughout the organization. So we, with the exception of a couple ambulatory care experiences, and in those cases, they leveraged a they were shifted to remote learning and they leveraged a, a WebEx meeting that they kept open for the entire day. So the preceptor was on that meeting with the student, uh, allowing them opportunity to interact with the student, review and monitor their patient care activities and, and provide feedback. Um, it included screen sharing as we were able to help gain access for our students to have that remote access to the electronic health record. Definitely, there was an impact on their experience because they didn't have the face-to-face interaction with patients, but they were still able to provide a robust clinical experience. Since August, we've been able to resume our regular volume of students rotating through our organization, and I think that a lot of work was done between our organization in partnership with the Colleges of Pharmacy as they shifted some of their curriculum so that there wasn't as big of a demand over the summer for rotations and, and shifted a lot of that to the fall. Uh, And now we're in a position where we're able to support that and provide both face-to-face. And since we learned, we still do some remote for some of those patients, depending on where the the pharmacist is primarily working. Great. Thank you. Transitioning slightly from practice models, um, I think we can all agree that the pandemic created rapidly changing environments. My question to both of you is what modifications have you had to make to stay connected to and support your teams during a period of time where things were new every single day? Uh, So for us, in the very beginning, our pharmacy management team had twice daily COVID check-in calls. And then after those calls, I was sending email updates with any like COVID related information out to the team as I received it. And, you know, that information was coming from so many different directions and it was so hard to stay on top of it. It was exhausting, honestly. I spent all day, you know, reading through our HR website, reading through our infection prevention website, attending webinars with the anticoagulation forum and things like that, trying, trying to just stay on top of it all. But eventually our pharmacy management calls were gradually phased out as everyone started to settle into their new normal Senior leadership developed a weekly COVID email update that they sent out on Friday afternoons. And they also started publishing a COVID dashboard that's visible to all caregivers that shows the number of of patients and caregivers tested, the percentage that are testing positive, how many patients we had in our ICUs and things like that. So people could kind of get a sense for how the pandemic was was affecting our health system. But since then, we've kind of settled back into our normal cadence of daily or weekly huddles, depending on the specific area. So each area has, has a different frequency for those. And as we've seen COVID cases start to ramp back up with the holidays and everything like that, and we started preparing for the vaccine to come out, 
Um, our pharmacy management COVID calls started back up. So we're now doing those on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, now that we have a little more COVID action going on and a lot more planning that's occurring. Great. And Jeff, what has your experience has been? What modifications have you had to make to stay connected to your teams? Well, listening to Samantha describe those early days of the pandemic brought back a, a few memories for myself, because I would say it was very similar. Information was changing almost hourly and you'd get go from one meeting to the next and, and it would you have different information. And so I think it really highlighted for us some gaps that we had in our the effectiveness of our communication. And, and I think as an organization, we've learned from that and made some improvements. I think one of the key things that we've had uh, that we have had in place before that has been very valuable as a daily safety huddle. And this is implemented throughout the organization. Every department, every unit has a, a daily safety huddle, which allows us to rapidly escalate urgent safety or operational issues. And at the same time, go in the opposite direction, send communication related to COVID or otherwise to, to every level of the organization. I think we, we found it particularly challenging getting information from the state and, and the senior leaders that were part of our incident command structure down to the frontline staff. And so we've shifted throughout the pandemic significantly to help meet the needs of our large organization, which has over 40,000 employees. And so some of the things that we now are utilizing is we have a, a daily brief that's emailed from senior leaders and, and contribution comes from across the organization into this daily brief. And it's become that source of truth for frontline caregivers throughout the organization. So they're able to see that each day. Um, we leverage that now, not just for COVID, but for other communications and updates as well. And then once a week, leaders within the organization receive an additional email that highlights key issues or challenges that will be coming out later in the week to give them a heads up and give them talking points that'll allow them to help support the teams more effectively. And then within pharmacy specifically, we have a Every two weeks, we have a leadership call for all frontline managers and supervisors across the system that join, and then we're able to provide high-level communications. And similar to what Samantha said, now that the COVID vaccine is, is moving rapidly, we actually implemented a daily call um, specific to that where we discuss our progress and efforts around getting that distributed to first employees, and, and now we'll be moving to the general public. Thanks. Before we go today, I need to ask you guys one last question. Um, as seasoned leaders, I recognize that a pandemic can challenge just about any leader. So I'd love for both of you guys to discuss what has been either your biggest win, challenge, or learning during this pandemic, and what advice do you have for other leaders who might be experiencing it? Similar to what Jeff was saying, I think communication was definitely a challenge across the board for us. Everyone was receiving information from so many different sources. It was really hard to stay on top of. Um, eventually, things settled down. Our HR website was updated with tons of information about COVID related to travel, how to manage potential exposures, how employees could get tested, and things like that. Um, and then our infection prevention site has become another go-to resource as well uh, with similar information. Um, it has our COVID screening questionnaires for patients and things like that. Our department also started a weekly town hall in, in the beginning of the pandemic where staff could submit their questions throughout the week and then they would be answered on Friday afternoons during that town hall meeting. We've kind of spaced that out now. So now it's a monthly town hall meeting uh, where staff can still submit their questions. And our pharmacy management team shares updates with 
from each of our respected areas with the rest of the department so everyone can kind of stay on top of what's going on. Um, there was definitely a lot of anxiety from staff about working on site and continuing to see patients during a pandemic. Uh, we did make sure that we engaged staff in determining some of the changes that were made and we provided as much information as we could, uh, recognizing that, as Jeff said, information was literally changing every hour. What we told people in the morning was different by lunchtime. Um, so it's very frustrating for us as leaders um, and even more so frustrating for the frontline caregivers. And traditionally, uh, we've been pretty resistant to allowing staff to work from home, but I definitely think that in the future, this is something that we'll probably need to reconsider to accommodate unusual circumstances like a pandemic. And Jeff, I'll give you the final word. Great. Thanks, Rachel. You know, Samantha, the, your final comment there with the remote working from home. I think that that honestly has been one of the wins from an ambulatory care pharmacy perspective that I think has been significant for us for our team here at Intermountain, because I think we had some hesitancy as well. And, and through this process, it's it required us to, to think of different approaches to how we deliver care. And, and through that process, we were able to demonstrate the efficiency, the quality of work, and the trust and reliability that senior leaders could have on caregiver or employees to be able to work from home. And, and so I think that that's been a significant win. I think the biggest challenge, as I highlighted before, really was communication. There was so much information and misinformation circulating and, and that continues to circulating. And so making sure that we have that connection right to the front lines where they're engaging with patients. So they have the information and they can help dispel some of the misinformation that has been shared as they interact with patients, I think was one of the biggest challenges, but also has proven to be one of the most beneficial adjustments that we were able to make. And I think as we, you know, look to the future, especially as we may hopefully not have uh, additional pandemics, but there's going to be challenges that will arise going forward. And, and I think that one of the things that I took as a key learning is that openness to be willing to change and to change rapidly is so critical. And being able to have that yourself as a leader and to maintain some positivity in the midst of trying circumstances, I think is important in helping to successfully execute change with your team. And then making sure that you are communicating, that you are in touch with the team. They don't feel like they're isolated or on an island or being left um, to fend for themselves, I think is also critical in, in navigating those challenging and difficult events that arise. Thanks, Samantha and Jeff, for those takeaways and wins for other leaders who are likely experiencing those same situations. That's all the time we have today. I want to thank Jeff Olson and Samantha Lindolfa for joining us to discuss managing ambulatory staff during significant events. Before we go, I want to share some of the resources ASHP has developed and ways that ASHP is helping to work their members manage the outbreak. Be sure to check out ASHP's COVID-19 Resource Center found at ashp.org, which serves as a clearinghouse for information on COVID-19 for pharmacy leaders, clinicians, and their resources for patients. ASHP has also developed policy recommendations for policymakers. Send an email to your legislators using the Online Advocacy Center. That's at advocate.ashp.org and ask your legislators to support ASHP's COVID-19 recommendations. And lastly, be kind to your mind. Headspace is now the exclusive meditation and mindfulness app for ASHP members. 
with Headspace, you can learn the life-changing skills of meditation and mindfulness in just a few minutes a day. Studies show that meditation helps reduce stress and burnout in healthcare professionals while boosting happiness, compassion, resilience, and overall life satisfaction. Search Headspace on ashp.org for more information on how to redeem this member benefit. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.